Well, good evening. It is good to be here with you tonight. Um, I'm always honored to stand up here and to stand in this pulpit, and it's an honor to share the Word of God with you this evening. Um, so we're coming off an incredible month of renewal, hearing from a phenomenal speakers, hearing the Word of God preached so well into my heart personally, I hope into your heart, in this past week of prayer and fasting. And today it's a new month. It's March 1st and we're going into a new month. And with that, we're jumping back into 1 John. But I believe the message that we have tonight is a message of renewal. I think it can renew our hearts and renew our confidence in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So even though it's March 1st, even though my picture wasn't on the TV screen out there, it is a renewal night, okay? Are y'all ready? Yeah, so let's jump in. Tonight we're in 1 John, and just a reminder of this, the primary reason 1 John was written was to give confidence to the early Christian church and to help them live out their faith. Um, And so in our passage this evening, John shares the depth of God's testimony so that believers would find confidence in their salvation. You know, we're all prone to ask questions. Like from the time we can talk to the time we die, I think we all have questions about things. Like there's always why questions. Like my three-year-old toddler, a question he'll ask is, Like, why can't I eat my boogers, right? Like, that's a ridiculous question, but he'll ask it. Or you could see a kid might ask, why can't I have ice cream for dinner? Or a teen might ask, why can't I go out with my friends tonight? A college student might ask, why should I do what my parents always told me to do? A young adult might ask, why don't I have my dream job? A young parent might ask, why did this kid not come with instructions A parent of teen might ask, why does my kid not listen? An empty nester might ask, why did my child grow up? A senior adult might ask, why doesn't the younger generation listen to our wisdom? Man, some of those questions are silly. Some are serious, but it doesn't change the fact that we are all prone to ask questions. And you know, I think a lot of the questions that we have in our life come from the fact that we live in what we call a broken world, a world that is full of sin and hurt and pain and difficulty. And out of all of that comes the question like, why? What is going on here? Why is this happening? The separation that comes from our brokenness and from our sin A separation from God leads us to have these why questions about life and why questions about faith. But what's so incredible is that some questions we have in general about life, we might not know the answer for, but the question of salvation can be definitive. It can be for sure. It can be a positive thing. This is the most important question to be answered because it affects everything. In our passage, John presents this question in this way. Who can conquer the world? 
Who can conquer the world? This is a powerful question because all the questions that come from this broken world that we live in, if we have confidence that we can conquer that, man, then those questions don't matter because we have the answer that we have salvation and eternal life in Jesus. What John gives us tonight is a compelling argument for the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us through the testimony that God, the creator of the universe, has given us. You know, the title of this passage in the CSB, it's The Certainty of God's Testimony. The Certainty of God's Testimony. So let's open the word tonight. We're in 1 John chapter five, and we're gonna start in verse five of this. It says this, Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within him. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word that you've given us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you speak through it. I pray that you make it clear to us. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts to what you have to say. And Lord, I pray that you bring your Holy Spirit in this room to move in my words, Lord, and to move in the hearts of the people in this room. Lord, I thank you for what you've done for us. And I thank you for the testimony that you've shown us. I pray that it gives us confidence in who you are and what you've done tonight. It's your name we pray, amen. You know, a couple of months ago when... I found out I was gonna be preaching this evening. And I found out what passage I was gonna be preaching on. You know, I sat down and I've, of course I read it. And I don't know if your reaction as we read it just a moment is similar to mine, but I was like, what did I just read? What, like, what is going on here? There's all these things happening and it's kind of repetitive. There's a lot going on. And myself personally, I was like, okay, Okay, where do I start? How do I figure out this whole picture of what's happening? And so this evening, I want us to present it kind of in a certain way. We're gonna present it in the way of kind of like a courtroom setting where John is presenting forth a claim and then we see that God gives us witnesses that testify about that claim, which brings about a verdict And then we're gonna look at the implications of that verdict, okay? So we're gonna start off with the claim here. And the claim of John 
is this. John is writing to believers to help them live out the Lord and find assurance in their faith in Jesus. And he says it this way. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So he presents forth this claim in the form of a question. And this question directly correlates to Uh, what was going on in that time period. There was a lot of false teaching that was happening. uh, And this false teaching was centered around the idea that Jesus was not divine. So there were people that were saying they believed in God, but that they did not believe that Jesus was the son of God. These weren't even like Jewish believers. These were people trying to say they were Christians and teaching falsely in this way. The church as a whole was facing persecution on multiple sides at this point, and many started to teach falsely about the truth of Jesus. From that we gather with this came the questions of the early Christians. They had to wonder what is true and what isn't. What exactly do I believe specifically about who Jesus is and do we really have salvation in him? Is Jesus worth following amidst persecution? John is writing to encourage these believers and help them find confidence in Jesus. One key claim in this passage is that believers conquer the world. We talked about this a moment ago, and to understand this, we have to understand that John, what John is meaning by the word world, okay? The world is not people around us that don't follow Jesus. That's not what John is saying. The world is anything that stands between us and glorifying God. We see that played out just a couple chapters before in 1 John chapter 2 when he kind of defines the world. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says it this way. Listen to this. The world is everything outside of me and in me and everywhere else that prevents me from conforming to Christ and bringing him glory with my life. So John claims that we conquer this world through Jesus, which means we conquer sin and our relationship with God is made right through this. You were once part of this world, but now part of the kingdom of God. There's a transfer of citizenship that happens. Once a citizen of the world, now through Jesus, we're part of the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean we withdraw from this world, because we know God's placed us in this world for a purpose to be his light. He puts a call on every believer's life. But what we do know is this, that in Jesus, we might live in the difficulty of this world today, but we will live in eternity with God forever. Therefore, we conquer. We conquer this world. This is the claim John presents forth, and I would venture to say that we are faced with many questions, if not more accusations regarding the divinity and the saving grace of Jesus. We live in a place in the United States that is moving further and forth, closer and closer to a post-Christian culture, if we're not there already. And there's many questions that boil up around that. Maybe you've asked some of these, is Christianity really true? 
What about other religions? What about those in science that don't believe in God? What about those who have different views of the Bible, like if it's true or not? What about those who believe in universalism? Every, everyone gets to go. There are many questions that can arise because of the culture that we live in. And it's no different in John's time. They were facing the same thing. And what we need is we need the truth. We need to know what is actually true. We need the true testimony that comes from the creator. You know, my son right now is three. And what I've learned about a three-year-old is you can't trust what they say. Like, I don't know, maybe that sounds terrible that I can't trust the words of my son. Um, But the thing is, he loves to tell stories and every story he tells recently ends with this. And then I fell in mud. I have no idea why. I've never seen him fall in mud. We haven't read a story about following mud, falling in mud. Like I have no idea why it ends that way, but it always ends in I fell in mud or we fell in mud because he likes to tell stories. Right now, it seems like every story ends exactly that way. And the thing is, a three-year-old's imagination is huge. They love to tell stories. We like to tell story, silly stories in our home, but the bottom line in all of this is a three-year-old's testimony is not trustworthy, right? Like you can't trust what a three-year-old says because it could be just something silly they wanna say. But what we see tonight is the opposite is true of God. His testimony was manifested in the life of Jesus and then it's manifested in each one of our lives today, every believer's lives today And in our passage, John gives a compelling argument for this truth, for this claim that he presents forth. So as in a trial, the defense and the prosecution, they get the opportunity to bring forth witnesses, uh, to share about what they've seen or what's going on, right? To try and find out exactly what happened, exactly what is true. And what John says is we get to hear the testimony of God. We get to read and see the testimony of God. And it's presented in a threefold way through these things called the spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three of these parts all agree and give testimony to who Jesus is from the Old Testament all the way to today we see the first testimony of these three came in the practice of the high priests in the Old Testament. So in Old Testament law, in Leviticus, uh, the Levitical priest practice, it started with, before they were gonna go to the Spirit of God, they would wash with water to cleanse themselves. And then, so that's the water, that's the first part, And then they would present a sacrifice, that sacrifice being the blood to atone for sins. Okay, so that's two parts. So then we see the spirit, they would anoint themselves with oil, presenting themselves as holy as the Holy Spirit is. So we see these three testifying all the way back in the Old Testament before the coming of Jesus and the law that was put in place by God himself. 
So the testimony of these three starts in the Old Testament, but then it doesn't stop there. It continues on and it continues on into Jesus who is the great high priest. So it's put in place by the original high priest, but then it is concluded by the great high priest that we see. So let's start by doing this. We'll start by talking about the spirit. And in the life of Jesus, we see the spirit surrounding every part of his life. We see it in every part. We see it in the Old Testament. Old Testament prophets through God's spirit prophesied about the coming of Jesus. Their words that were written before Jesus's life spoke directly about Jesus's life. That's the movement of God's spirit in people. And then we see in the life of Jesus, we see Mary becoming with child through the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus baptized. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. The spirit is moving in every part of his life as he does incredible miracles and incredible things happen. And then we see even at his death, the spirit move as the ground shakes and the veil is torn in the temple. The spirit's moving in every part. And then we see at the end of his life, the spirit continue on in us as he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you and know I am with you always. And then we see in Acts right after that, when the Holy Spirit moves in an incredible way at the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. Like the Spirit was moving all through the story of Jesus. That is the testimony that we have of the Spirit from Jesus's birth throughout his whole life. After his ascension, the Holy Spirit bore witness to the deity of Jesus Christ himself. Man, the second thing we see is the water. And there's some debates as to what John exactly meant about the water, that word water. Um, But the most widely accepted and what I believe to be true is that John was referring to the baptism of Jesus. We see this in Mark chapter one, verses nine through 11. And I wanna read that here for you. It says this, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. We see in this, Part of God's testimony of who Jesus is and that he is the son of God is that God said it himself at the water when Jesus was baptized. And Jesus was baptized to fulfill all the righteousness just as a Levitical high priest had to cleanse and wash themselves. Jesus's first step in ministry as the great and the final high priest was to be washed in the Jordan. This water signified the clean and the pure character of Jesus himself. The water oftentimes in scripture talks about a spring of life that comes forward and brings purity and brings cleansing. And you know, what's coming up is the spring and the summer, which means 
it's time to do yard work. How many of you love yard work? Oh, I have, we have two. How about that? Two. Yeah, I don't love it. But what yard work means is you got to get outside. You got to cut the grass. You got to mulch. And when I was in college, there was a period of time where I, I worked doing that in the summer, mulching and landscaping and all of that. And after a long day, like you're filthy, you're disgusting. And it was always so refreshing to go home at the end of that day and take a shower to cleanse of all the filth, of all the dirt, to be refreshed and make you feel new. Man, and that's what the water signifies. The baptism of Jesus is signifying that, the wellspring of life, the cleansing, the purity, and the new life that comes from Jesus. In the baptism of Jesus, we see the one who comes to bring out the final cleansing and refreshing of new life. In this, not only do we see Jesus be baptized, but we see the Spirit of God show up and God verbally tell us Jesus is his son. Man, what an amazing witness that is. So we have the Spirit and the water. The third part of this testimony is the blood. The blood sacrifice is what would be taken on as the punishment of sinners, The high priest would bring forth the sacrifice to atone for the sins of people. And, you know, just a side note here, last Sunday, Pastor Jeff spoke about this as we took the Lord's table. And if you didn't listen to that, go listen to that because it talks about the blood and the significance of the blood. It's so important that Jesus did not just come by water, but also by blood because the atoning for sin could only be done by blood. The only way for our relationship with God to be corrected is through blood. Many people during Jesus's time, during this time period, they didn't believe in Jesus because he wasn't what they were expecting. They were expecting a king to come in and to rule and to reign and to take over. But the reality is, A ruler is not what they needed and a ruler is not what we need. What we need the most is the sacrifice for our sin. That's the only way for our relationship to be made right with God. John the Baptist cried, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus's death was not an accident. It was not an act of martyrdom. It was a divine saving substitution for sinners. John saw the important value of the blood and this blood was testified through the death of Jesus. As he was beaten, he was nailed to a cross so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So these are the three, the water, the blood, and the spirit. And they're testified in the Old Testament. They're testified in the life of Jesus. And I think what is so amazing is the testimony doesn't stop there and shouldn't stop there. This testimony is brought forth in the life of every believer. 
The Spirit of God is the one that opens hearts to the need of salvation. The Spirit is the one that guides the believer. The Spirit is the one that gives power to the believer to do the will of God. The Spirit is alive and well in every follower of Jesus. The water is testified in the new life of the believer, the cleansing of the sin throughout salvation and the ongoing work of sanctification in one's life. We also see that testify about the water through baptism that we do. We show the renewal of life through the act of baptism. This cleansing is only made possible through the blood of Jesus, the blood that atones for every believer's sin. The blood makes us right with God. The blood changes everything. Every believer has the testimony of God in them through the water, through the blood, and through the spirit. This is the claim put forth by John, and I believe the verdict in my heart is clear because I've experienced it personally. I have seen the witness of the threefold testimony of God in scripture and in my life and in the lives of others. If this is true, that believers conquer the world through Jesus, then there are really, really strong implications for this that we have to hear. I wanna read starting in verse 10. It says this, the one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within him. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So there's two people described in this, those who believe and those who don't believe in God's testimony. Those who don't believe, it said that they make God out to be a liar, that his testimony is not true. This was really, really important for um, the listeners of this particular passage, the people that John was writing to, because many people were denying the deity of Jesus. And what John is saying here is you can't pick and choose. Like you can't pick just God and know Jesus. It has to be both. Like if you say Jesus is not the son of God, he's not the testimony through the water, the blood and the spirit, then you're calling God a liar. Like that's what it's saying there. Both are vital Jesus and God. Now, the second thing in this is that those who don't believe don't have eternal life. This passage is very, very, very clear in this. There are not multiple ways to go to heaven. Only the one, and that is through Jesus. The opposite of this is eternal life or it is eternal death. Eternal death. And that eternal death is an eternal separation from God in hell. I think this 
for the believer in this room should be heartbreaking. There is a world around this that doesn't believe in Jesus. And maybe you're in this room and you don't believe in Jesus. The reality is, is if you don't believe in Jesus, the destination is hell for eternity. This should bring us to our knees in prayer and motivate us towards action to sharing who Jesus is and what he's done for our life. The other person described in this passage is the one who does believe. This person does have eternal life. And if you are here and you have that, man, then be encouraged. Be excited in that. Be renewed in that. God has given us his testimony of Jesus in his word and in our own lives so that we can conquer the world. The word conquer means to overcome or to take control. And even though we live in this world that is full of brokenness, full of hurt, full of pain, full of difficulty, full of suffering, we can overcome and take control of those things through Jesus. He has overcome every bit of it and he is preparing a place for you in eternity. That's the hope that we have through Jesus. Let this hope guide you and motivate you to live out your life for Jesus. I wanna go back and circle back to the person who doesn't believe in Jesus. Because if we, if you are a believer in this room and you truly believe that you have conquered this world, you have confidence in that, man, then why are you afraid to share it? Why should we be afraid to share it? Because he has done everything for us. He has given us his testimony. I think that brings us to the greatest application for this passage. Does your life testify the work of the spirit, the water, and the blood? Verse 10 of this passage tells us that every believer has this testimony in them. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have the testimony of the water, you have the testimony of the blood and the spirit. Do you think the people around you can see that? Do you think they can see the new life that is in you? Do you think they can see the sacrifice that Jesus has given us through your own sacrifice for others? Do you think they can see your excitement, your hope, and your joy through the Holy Spirit? I wonder what that can look like in our lives. What does it actually look like for us to testify about God. You know, if you were here this morning and heard um, our friends share about uh, their story and about their experience over a three-week period um, overseas, then I think you see a couple that is living out the testimony of God, not caring about anything else, 
not caring about their own safety, their own life, their own stuff, but caring about sharing Jesus. Man, that is true confidence in Jesus Christ. Man, hearing the work all over the world and even in our city about how Jesus is moving in people, that's exciting. But I wonder if sometimes we just sit here in our comfortable pews with our comfortable lives Do we ever testify to the world about who Jesus is? Do we testify our need for self or do we testify our need for God? Do we testify the things that we want in our life? Do we testify about the world in our own flesh or do we testify about who God is with our life? I wonder if our faith is sometimes described as this. Stale, boring, lukewarm, unengaged, disinterested, apathetic, empty. I pray, let that not be said of us. Let the confidence of God's testimony change that in our life. Let the testimony of God work in you and shine in you in this world. So instead of being described in those ways, let's be described as bold, as joyful, as radical, as encouraging, as life-giving, as hopeful, as obedient, as pure, as holy, as excited about how the Lord's working. Man, I pray tonight that this word that God has given us helps you understand that we are confident conquerors through Jesus. He has given us life. Let's share that life with the world around us that needs it. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day. And I thank you for the word that you've given us tonight. Lord, and I pray that you move in us, move in our church Lord, encourage us to follow you more and more. Lord, let your testimony come out of our lives. Man, the newness that you give us through the water, Lord, the sacrifice you showed us through the blood. Lord, give us excitement in what we do through your spirit. Help us do it through your spirit, Lord. We need you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that doesn't believe that they understood a little more tonight about who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that you would move them to ask questions, ask questions to the people around them that they know so that they can start to seek after you. And I pray that you show yourself to them tonight, Lord. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us, especially on the cross. It's your name we pray, amen.